the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. Pick up the phone and give me a call. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. One thing that I get asked on often is love, marriage, and debt. We'll see if we can hit those in somehow, some way, shape, and form in this segment. What happens to your debt when you die? The average American right now is dying with $62,000 of debt. Whoops, thought I had another month to send in a check. You're probably going to die with some debt to your name, and that's okay. Uh, one of the very first girlfriends that I ever had that was awesome, her dad pulled me aside and he's like, let me tell you a secret. I'm going to die with debt, and I'm okay with it. 73% of consumers have outstanding debt when they're reported as dead. Now, keep in mind, I recommend you don't report anyone as dead, that you just bury them in the backyard and keep giving their Social Security checks. But that's me, and that's probably not you. Consumers carry an average total balance of $61,554. Without home loans, the average balance is about 12875 So a lot of it is home loans, right? Does that sound about right? $12,000 of credit card debt and other debt, car debt? Doesn't sound crazy to me. So, the average unpaid balance, credit card's about 4500 Auto loan's about 17000 It's interesting, right? Personal loan's about 14000 Student loan's about 25000 That's one that kicks me in the butt. How are people dying with student loans? Right? Are you with me? Does that, like, ting? Did a little notification bell just go off in your head? So debt belongs to a deceased person, for sure, or that person's estate. If someone has enough assets to cover their debts, the creditors get paid and beneficiaries receive whatever remains. So if your mom's already died and your dad dies and he's got $62,000 of debt, they take a look at his estate and figure out how much can they get. 
But if there's not enough assets to satisfy debts, creditors lose out. Um, family members do not become responsible for debt, as some people worry they may. So debt's a big issue when you're talking about retirement issues, and it should always be noted and it should always be honored that you have income, you've got uh, hopefully investments, and you create some assets. Keep in mind, I think that one of your greatest assets in life is your ability to earn income. And you have that from age 20 to 60, and sometimes you'll see friends here or there, and you'll go, whoa, they're getting late in life not to have any money, or you'll hear them talk about their divorce and what's going on or what's not going on financially successfully in their life. And uh, people always have opinions, right? 800-516-1220 if you want to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. I'm always surprised at how many people are willing to live day by day. And then you call them on it, and what they'll instantly say is, but I don't want to leave where I'm living. That's a big question. Would you do that? That's a big question. Um, I can't say that you would, per se. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, That's one of the things I find that hold people back is that they get stuck in the same exact place. I like the term frugality because I think it's a very subjective term. You can look around your life and you can see things and you can go, uh, I want a BMW. I want an Audi. And, you know, I do too. But I hold back because I look at myself in the accumulate wealth mode. The average Joe, it can mean, frugality can mean something like, eating meals at home, or scouring the internet for cheap flights when it does come time for vacation. But to a billionaire, it means showing up to work in a t-shirt and jeans, driving a Toyota or a Volkswagen. In some instances, it means, you know, foregoing, you know, purchase of a private jet or a lavish vacation. What does frugality mean to you? What does it mean to your kids? Warren Buffett, chairman and CEO of Berkshire Hathaway, still lives in the same home that he bought in 1958 for $31,000. $500. He's worth $74 billion. Uh, He's got a pretty lowbrow palate. He likes to eat at Burger King, Dairy Queen, and he likes uh, sucking down Coca-Colas. So how long will he live on that diet? I don't know. Um, But he says he's happy, and frugality's fine. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, founder and CEO of Volkswagen, drives a manual transmission Volkswagen hatchback. He leads a pretty low-key lifestyle, uh, including his T-shirt, his hoodie, and his jeans. Uh, he chowed down at McDonald's shortly after marrying his wife in 2012 in the backyard of their $7 million Palo Alto home. So, pretty modest sum for a guy who's worth you know more than $70 billion plus. In 2014, though, he did trade in that uh, his $30,000 Acura for a uh, for that hatchback. So, so Carlos Slim Hulu, he's the founder of Grupo Carso. Um, he's Mexican's richest man. Uh, he's tied to a lot of industries, which is kind of fascinating. Um, here's how you get wealthy. Sometimes you keep your wealth. He does the home-cooked meals with his children and grandchildren. He's got a couple of known indulgences like fine art. He has an ex-wife um, who liked fine art, so he said, I'm going to continue to do that for her in her memory. But, you know... Cuban cigars, that's kind of uh, the lavishness that you see. Now, I bet a lot of these people have more lavishness, this, this, lavishness that we don't see, right? 
Um, for instance, if you were to take the CEO of IKEA, he still flies economy. I once heard uh, Bill Gates say, you know, what do you think, I'm the Queen of England? I'm not flying first class. You're like, that's pretty funny. Um, anyhow, and anyway, that's a guy worth $43 billion plus dollars. $43 billion plus dollars. So sometimes you get wealthy by keeping your wealth, especially early on. When I started a company 20 years ago, it was tough on my dating life and my love life. Uh, I found myself numerous times saying, you know, do I go into debt or do I cut back my cost of living or, uh, and I, I made sacrifices. So as to kind of do that splurge on occasion, but long story short, I was, uh, on a tighter budget than you imagine. So 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. I like the word financial independence, but I hate when you hear like financial coaches say financial independence. So uh, I think financial independence is kind of a, a tricky thing. But it keeps going back to if you want to be wealthy, if you want to buy stocks, if you want to talk stock talk, I think you need to have some financial independence. And one of the things you need to do before you start going out and buying stocks is to accumulate $100,000 in investable assets. It sounds crazy, but I think you could do it with low-cost ETFs and indexes. And that's the best way to start. Get your budget under control. Don't get in too much debt. And get $100,000. And that's when you start getting a little bit of financial independence. You need to spend less than you earn and invest the difference. And once you get that $100,000 plus, that's when you can start playing with individual stocks. But you got to see like a, a market correction or two to know that they're normal and that they're healthy, and they kind of wring out some of the excesses. And in a current stock market that we're in, you haven't seen a big pullback over long periods of time. Um, they've happened in my lifetime, and I remember them, and I remember taking pay cuts, and I remember the problems associated with them. Anyhow, when we come back, we're going to talk more stock talk. We're going to talk more sectors, investing, and much, much more. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. Black now. 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. When I jumped out of college roughly 15, 20 years ago or whatever it was, 15, 20 years ago, I'm guessing, yeah, uh, 20 years ago. Uh, one of the things I noticed instantly, it taught me a lot about learning how to talk about stocks and seeing stocks and understanding what I'm seeing. You would go, I went to Europe, and I quickly learned, and I'd been to Europe before because I grew up uh, traveling. Uh, I lived in 15 places before I was 18 years old. So I wasn't like a, a nomad. I wasn't like a gypsy or anything like that, but it certainly felt like that. My father was in the military, and... It's always interesting. They would say, time to move, and you'd pack up your stuff and move. And it was two weeks before Thanksgiving. It was two weeks before after Christmas. It was like you never knew. 
So I kind of always lived in this fear of where am I going next? But anyway, when I went to Europe, or when I spent time in Europe, um, as an adult, not as a kid, I noticed like the supermarkets are incredibly small. And if you find an electronic store, it's incredibly small. And it tells you that there's going to be a problem in the United States is that we have a massive retail build-out in the years past. And I've gone up and down store aisles, and I'm looking to make, like, let's say a spaghetti and meatballs. And I'm looking for, let's say, 12 total ingredients for the salad and everything else. And you just go through the store, and you go through the store, and you go through the store. And, you know, a massive build-out in number of stores out there, but also the size of them. And for a while there, Americans loved our McMansions. Make the house bigger, make the house bigger, make the house bigger. Now, maybe not necessarily where you live. Maybe there's some zoning issues, some development issues. Maybe you were already past that point of vanity. But same thing happened to our stores, where we were make our stores bigger, make our stores bigger. And you can go into a Best Buy, and this is one of the problems that I have with Best Buy. It's a football store. It's a football field. It's two football fields. Um, Some people go in and let their kids go. And the kids start running around, and they're like, and they're off. And it's a way of letting their kids get some of their energy out. But it does also tell you that that's not what Best Buy was intending. Best Buy was intending to stock the shelves, and grocery stores were intended to stock the shelves with stuff that they bought. It's their inventory. It goes on the shelves, and they want you to come in and buy it for more than they paid and take their inventory away. And then they're going to be able to go out and take your cash and your profits, hire some people, come up with better computer systems, figure out what inventory they need or don't need, and pick it on up. A massive build-out in the United States by retailers has left the country, ultimately, with you know shelving, um, a crazy amount of shelvings, as consumers are shifting away from big weekly shopping trips to more snacking and going type of meals. I told you many years ago, I dated a younger woman who, when I visited her apartment, she had nothing in it, and she wanted even less. So she'd had a previous boyfriend who had, like, uh, Xbox, and all the cables were going to the TV, and the... the cable TV, and she's like, I hate cables. She wanted less cables. And in her refrigerator, there was nothing but alcohol. She wanted fresh food, food on the go. And we're even at the point where we're looking at like things like Blue Apron and Amazon Prime, where we're like, wait, I don't want 50 spices in my spice rack. They're just going to go stale. So commercial square footage of retail space per capita last year set a record. Now, again, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of droning on about this, but we need to, as a group, start thinking what you're investing in. Walmart, big store, right? Amazon, big warehouses. And when Amazon gets more and more into physical stores like uh, buying food companies, like Whole Foods, it's going to create some issues. Uh, because with those stores, they have to pay leases, they have to pay landlords, it's a little bit different. Now, again, they do the same thing with uh, warehouses. You know, very rarely do you own the warehouse. But, you know, it's worth noting that the building boom, the amount of retail space selling groceries per capita in the United States hit a record as supermarkets expanded, while club retailers like BJ's and uh, Costco um, and companies like Dollar Stores have also increased their food offerings. Everyone wants to sell food. Uh, if you go to Home Depot to pick up paint... Uh, there's a pretty good food court there. And Costco is the same way, a pretty good food court. Not only does Costco have food there, but in the store and outside the store. Um, 
it's a way of trying to get you to lift your feet and drag them to their store. Everybody's getting the groceries because you and me, we need everyday food. Shopper loyalty to conventional chains, uh, not so much these days. Same store sales for food retailers um, were up about 3% annually since 2013. That metric was flat in 2016. So I remember one time in my life being part of that Safeway club. And to make a long story short, I don't know if this is fair, um, I don't go to Safeway as often as I used to. A lot of the things that I used to get at Safeway, I'm, I'm now getting at Amazon. So there's only so much food we can buy, and there's only so many stores that we want to go to. And, uh, you know, I need a vitamin or something along those lines. And for the record, I think vitamins are horrible, horrible wastes of money for most people. But I do get that some people believe in them. But it's all about Amazon for me. So I think we've hit the critical moment in the last two, three years, and you know, even more so now because we're starting to think about it, where traditional supermarkets haven't realized uh, what they can't do, and they've, they've started to realize what they can do. You can't just keep stores open all day long to solve problems. Like, do you remember... Uh, in the last 10 years, how crazy Black Friday got. And then, you know, um, Black Friday started uh, the day after Thanksgiving. But then they started, let's open up Thanksgiving from at 6 p.m. after people are done with their meals. And like, let's open up at 3 p.m. Let's open up at noon. Let's do a sale the day before. Let's do a sale the, you know, let's do 24 hours after Thanksgiving. And like, whoa, that would solve some problems. It would move some inventory. It's all about moving the inventory. Um, so grocers have started to retrench now, and they started to figure out ways, to, you know, to fulfill the broader retail market. They're reducing the square footage of brick-and-mortar stores as e-commerce, you know, draws away the customers to online shopping. Uh, there used to be a very big feel that, you know, Americans have to touch it before they buy it, and I just don't think that's the case anymore. Kroger, the nation's largest traditional supermarket chain, is reducing its new store openings this year from 100 to 55. A nearly billion-dollar drop in capital expenditures. Walmart plans to open 55 super centers and smaller format centers, uh, stores. That's the right way of saying that. 2018. That's down from 132 it opened in the 12-month period ending in January. So a year ago, 132. This year, 55. So, you know, there's a lot to go on there. And it's telling you that as an investor... We don't need that much space. And as an investor, maybe that much space, a supermarket that's not just a market, it's super. Uh, maybe a Best Buy that's not just an electronic store, it's a superstore. We maybe don't need that much space because that space is expensive. It's If you're looking at a house and it's 2,000 square feet and you kind of figure out it's $700, $800 a square foot, how about you get a 1,600 square foot house and you can save a lot of money, right? Same thing with retail. Brick-and-mortar supermarket locations are competing for consumers who shop online, and that competition is heated up. Now, what's interesting is Amazon's going the reverse direction. Let's see how they pull it off. Find me online at Rob Black Show, talking stocks with you. I feel like taking chances. I feel a lot like 17.
join the conversation. 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. I talk stocks. Mondays and Thursdays from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. Stock talk. Then I talk general market, economy, big stories of the day, stock sectors, investing, financial planning, Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Um... I dig you. I dig talking money. I dig talking investing. Um, anytime you have a question, don't be afraid to ask. And keep in mind, I, I do events. And I always have an event coming up. And you can find out more about the events coming up at, by going to Rob Black Show. It's robblackshow.com. And when you're there, you can check out what's coming up. And uh, if you like what you see and where it is, typically we throw down a $25 fee to get in. But we serve wine and cheese or lunch, whatever the event is, whenever it is. Uh, and you can get in for free using the code RADIO25. That's RADIO25. Um, it's no secret that as interest rates rise, financial stocks tend to be correlated to that. And a lot of people tend to go, hey, they can make more money. And as interest rates rise, it's typically the thought that the economy is doing better. So there's some sometimes assumptions, right? There's different types of banks. Bank of America, what would you think? Consumer Bank, United States, consumer loans, mortgages, car loans. Um, Citigroup, what would you think? Probably more international version of that domestic Bank of America. Wells Fargo, you see probably has a lot of mortgages, not as dominant in banking. Uh, but they're not bad in banking. But different financials create different situations after years of restructuring and repositioning. And downsizing and right sizing and different CEOs. Citigroup recently laid out some ambitious financial plans that tell me and show me that we should consider potentially adding it to the portfolio if you haven't. Ticker symbol is C. Now, when you talk about Citigroup, you talk about, again, companies that lend money. And there's a lot of leverage in that in the United States, and we saw in 2006, 7, and 8 that when you lend a lot of money to people buying houses, and then you repackage that loan in mortgages, and you sell it to investors, I'm not going to use the word house of cards, but it can get tricky fast. One of the largest financial services known to man, Citigroup, has some 200 million customer accounts and serves clients around the globe. It offers deposits and loans, investment banking, brokerage, wealth management, other financial services. You may not like that it's around the globe. You may go, I, I don't like what's going on in Europe. I like what's going on in the, the U.S. Or you may say the other way around. I don't like what's going on in the U.S. I like what's going on in the world. Few banks in the world can hit Citigroup's reach. Citibank owns a stake in several international regional banks as well. Um, so they've got more than 130 million city-branded credit cards. They were hit hard in the 2008 financial crisis. City has been refocusing on its original mission, which was traditional banking. It's got some $1.7 trillion in assets and some $930 billion in deposits. You generally would compare them to a J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, HSBC Holdings, um, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo. So you kind of get to know all the, all the players. And then what I like to do as a stock picker 
as an investor is write down all the names, all the ticker symbols, uh, what the year-to-date change is, how's it doing compared to its peers? Um, you know, for instance, if Citigroup's the leader, maybe a lot of money already knows that they're in a good position to expand. Then you take a look at their earnings per share for 2017, take a look at the estimates for 2018, you take a look at the PE based on 2017 earnings, you take a look at potential 2018, you take a look at price to tangible book, you take a look at the dividend yield so that you can get paid while it maybe underperforms or get paid less while it outperforms as a stock. Um, so Citigroup, ticker symbol C, is approaching its highest level since the financial crisis. That's when the troubled bank rose, uh, had to raise capital and dilute its shares. Uh, there could be more upside now because Citi offers a combination of low valuation and what could be the highest earnings growth rate amongst its peers. Um, their earnings growth for 2020 from now through 2020 basically assumes a 20% compounded annual growth rate. And that suggests that it can hit about $100 per share, which is 48% above its current level. That's not bad. Now, there were some recent stress tests in the United States. And who knows, are we going to do these forever? Or are we going to make them once every two years versus every year? Uh, maybe every three years? Those rules are changing pretty constantly. Um, and... Citigroup came out of their stress test with the Federal Reserve, and basically the Federal Reserve said, you can double your dividend. Citi also was going to purchase more shares, because they basically got the blessing, from the Federal Reserve, that they, with all the cash they've set aside, they could start using some of it, and that the emergency's over, 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 danger, all Roberts, and danger. So Citigroup right now has clearance to return about $19 billion in capital to shareholders in the next 12 months, and it's hoping to return $20 billion plus in each of the following two years. They've got some lofty financial goals and a huge global footprint. Citigroup it looks expensive, inexpensive to me. It's a little work for us if we're taking action on these stocks mentioned on the show. Um, investors want to see if Citi can generate consistent growth in revenue and operating profit. There's no street consensus expectations for 2020. But the 2019 projection is, you know, about $7 a share. Um, and that's kind of in line with what Citigroup is saying. They've done a lot of repositioning. They've told investors that the repositioning is done. They think they're poised to deliver attractive and sustainable returns. So there's unparalleled global presence right now. Um, they're big. They're diversified. They're worldwide. So one analyst recently said, you know, Citigroup will need 10% compounded annual growth in annual revenue. Um, it's a U.S. retail bank that's a leader, but it's also a, a leading Mexican bank. And Citi is assuming a robust global economy and benign credit cost because of the low cost of money out there at this point in time. So if Citi is able to grow their earnings at 20% a clip, that would lift the shares over 50%. Now, just to show you how diversified they are, they get about half their revenue outside the United States. It's the highest percentage in its group. Um, so again, you may not like what is happening in the U.S. economy. Maybe you're nervous about the Trump presidency and the fact that Congress isn't really playing along with his agenda. Maybe you see that as gridlock, and that's a good thing. I don't know. I'm not you. Leveraging off its worldwide presence, Citigroup operates the largest proprietary uh, global payment system. It's also the number one global credit card issuer. So you're dealing with a lot of issues there. 
I do not believe, I believe that banks are, are usually fairly conservative. But that's not always true. You see long stretches of time where uh, sometimes the bank themselves are taking on too much risk. Sometimes the banks like Wells Fargo are breaking the law to show better growth than is actually happening. Sometimes banks do stuff uh, that they don't want to do. Federal government says something along the lines of, uh, I'm the great senator of Utah, and uh, I, I want you know all my citizens to have houses. It's American dream. I grew up with the American dream. My father's father grew up with the American dream. My father's father grew up with the American dream. And I want all financial institutions to lend money to people. Financial institutions like uh, congressmen, that's not a good idea. Not everyone deserves a loan. You know, sometimes people have only worked for a month or two. Sometimes they have no assets that we can seize if they fail. The congressman goes, you will do it or I'll take away your banking channel. We don't have to play the music. Vote Rob Black. Uh, mayor of your city. Just write in my name. So I'm not going to say which city. I'm just going to say let's do it randomly and maybe I get elected. So uh, so there is some risk. I mean, when you're talking global uh, payment systems, when you're talking global credit cards, when you're talking global banking, you're talking global mortgages, um, it's tricky. So you're basically betting on global capitalism at that point in time. On some levels. Now, how do you look at the risk of that? You go, well, you go, well, Merrick's taking on a lot of debt, and this is a company that issues debt, and at some point in time, debt needs to be pay- repaid, right? So anyway, according to Rob Black, I think Citigroup should be put on your watch list for the next five years. If there's a pullback, if there's a buying opportunity, uh, some analysts are, are looking at about a $100 share price on Citigroup. I think that makes a lot of sense. If you're a long-term patient investor, the buybacks plus the increased dividends are attractive to investors. Is it uh, the end-all, be-all? No. No, 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 no. But it's something to consider. Twitter. Tweet, tweet, tweet. Sees no relief in sight. Uh, do you remember when Twitter's IPO hit $70 a share? And then they fall to 60 50 40 30 25, 20, do I hear 15? And Twitter's just in a problem at this point in time. It's a great brand. No, it's a brand, right? And the spotlight has been turned on to them of, okay, your stock has fallen. You're a great brand, or everyone knows you, a lot of people do. Now let's see some revenue growth. If you compare Twitter to Facebook on price per sales, price per earnings, uh, earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, amortization. Facebook is cheaper than Twitter. So, which one do you want to do? The one that stock is working and rewarding, or the one who's kind of broken? Find me online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW.
I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. One of the things I like to do is talk stocks. Um, when you hear me talk stocks, consult a broker advisor for taking action on any stocks mentioned. It's for informational purposes only. Please, please, no wagering. This is an exhibition. This is not a competition. Are you with me? Are you against me? So I've talked a little bit about some stock ideas. I've talked a little bit about some sectors and some maybe some metrics. You know, when I talked about when you see how big a Best Buy is, it's how many how much sales do they get per square foot? Um, it's an interesting question, and it's something that when you would look at an investment, you have to say to yourself, "Let's think about this for a second, right?" Let's let's not just go. I like I like the way they spell their 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 name, um, or it's done well in the past. You got to do better than that. Um, something that I look at sometimes are winners and losers. Now, I like ETFs for most investors. That's not always going to be appropriate, but that's where I like to start. And one area that's doing well right now as an ETF, it's the PowerShares DWA Healthcare Momentum ETF. I don't like PowerShares for investing, unless it's going to be for trading. So PowerShares, you're taking a lot more risk, and over time it doesn't really pay off, and it typically dilutes your earnings, your returns, in my opinion. President Donald Trump promised during his campaign, we're going to win so much, you're going to be sick and tired of winning. You're going to say, please, Mr. President, I have a headache. Please don't win so much. This is getting terrible. Now, you don't have to look too far into the news to see that Obamacare and the GOP's failure to repeal Obamacare was probably not what the president had in mind when he said, winning. Winning. So the... Winning. So the PowerShares DWA Healthcare Momentum ETF, ticker symbol PTH, has been a big winner um, outpacing the market because repealing Obamacare, our, our, our healthcare costs have gone up. Our healthcare spending has gone up since, since we put Obamacare into place. But I'm not going to just say blame it on Obama. I'm going to say in the last 40 years, we've seen nothing but healthcare insurance, healthcare costs. Uh, a friend of mine had some really bad, um, how shall we call it, um, problems with getting food out of her body. Ah! And she goes to the doctor, and you and I would say, hey, take a laxative, or take some, uh, what, what would you refer to, probiotics maybe, try to change things up. And her doctor looked at her and, you know, took a look at, you know, say, you know, probably take some probiotics and such like that. But I'm also going to order you an ultrasound on your lady parts, just in case something's blocking that whole area down there. And ultimately, she gets an insurance bill for $800. each. says, like, I didn't tell the doctor to do that. And he said to do it. I thought it was going to be covered by insurance. Um... She can't really afford it. And it's a great example of who's at fault. Is it the insurance company for not paying for something a doctor said to do? Aren't doctors supposed to be experts? And the healthcare insurance company saying, no, 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 no. 
And I, I think we just all need to be more informed consumers and say, what's that code? And can I call my insurance company before we run that test? Like, it sounds crazy, but I, you know how many people I know, and I don't know if you talk to your friends, that they, they get into insurance products, and then they're incredibly disappointed by said insurance products. So one thing that I like to do with some of these power shares and things like that is to see what their holdings are. Like Clovis Oncology is inside the PowerShares DWA Healthcare Momentum Fund and sticker symbol CV, CLVS. If I haven't heard of it, tonight I'm going to do a little bit of homework on it. Align Technology, sticker symbol ALGN. If I haven't heard of it, I'm going to do some homework on it. Now we talked about a sector that's doing well. Let's talk about a sector that's not doing well. North Korea is run by a little freaky dude. And he doesn't tend to really get along well with the United States or South Korea. So guess what? There's an ETF that's tied towards South Korea. So when North Korea fires a missile capable of hitting the United States, you're pretty darn sure they have a missile capable of hitting South Korea. So those shares, the iShares MSI Morgan Stanley Country Index, MSCI, South Korea, ticker symbol EWY is South Korea. And Samsung's a big name on that ETF. And it makes you ask the question, like, what would happen if North Korea did kind of elevate tensions? Or what if Apple's better than Samsung? Or what if Samsung's better than Apple these days and making record profits, which they are? Where do you put your money and who do you trust? So I'm not telling you to play the headlines, but you can certainly see how North Korea testing a missile has affected South Korea. So the more of these ETFs that you know about, maybe you say I'm going to do a trade. I don't know. Consult a broker advisor for taking action on anything mentioned. <laughs> I'm not your broker advisor. Take, you know, keep that in mind. I don't know your risk profile. I don't know your uh, education. I don't know your experience. I don't know uh, if you've got a big tumor on your back that's growing and you don't see it, and you're going to one day have to quit work because it's going to get so big it's going to take over part of your brain. I don't know these things. Um, and that's why being an investor is so unique, so independent, and that's why we're all so different, and uh, we should approach that with a lot of honesty with that. So don't think that there's one size fits all when it comes to talking stock, when it comes to picking stocks. It, it, it's not that way. So some of the things that I would own in my portfolio are way too risky for my mother, and some of the things that you know my kid would own uh, feel way too risky for me. So, do you see the idea? I'm Rob Black. You can find me at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. Find me on the radio uh, Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. And on Mondays and Thursdays, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. Tuesdays and Wednesdays, you'll hear CFP Chad Burton, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. On Fridays, there'll be a replay that's best of. Find me online, Facebook group page, I Hate Rob Black. Facebook group page, I Hate Rob Black. And don't forget, if there's a seminar coming up, use the code RADIO25 to get in for free. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.